Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would take each part of this service and be glorified in it. Lord, truly that we would mean and understand the words that we sing and sing them to your honor and to your glory. We ask that you would have freedom to work in each heart and life here today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And I'll tell you, God's grace is nothing short of amazing because why would a perfect God care about such imperfect individuals as you and I? And yet he does. And we praise him for that. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. And we are in a series on Sunday mornings on listening to God. And uh, we're not going to take time to review the entire uh, series again this morning, but we've set up the pattern of listening in creation, and we've looked at man's uh, just inability to listen to God, his desire to listen to himself. And last week we spent time on Noah. Uh, my wife informed me I put Moses on the ark at least once during that sermon. And forgive me for that. That is just something that uh, my mind gets Noah and Moses put together for some reason. And uh, today, what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time on true listening. If you really want to know what the Bible says about something, read what the Bible says about it. Amen. And as Jesus was preaching. And, and we have to uh, remember that Jesus did preach. And when we have preaching in our services, what we are attempting to do, as much as lies within uh, human ability, is to follow the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I really appreciate being able to uh, represent our church at the Global Independent Baptist Fellowship this past week in California. And uh, it was all about preaching. And uh, I just got the messages uh, downloaded. We'll have those on uh, MP3 for you next week, a CD, if you'd like to get the messages uh, of the uh, fellowship meeting there. Uh, it's preachers preaching to preachers, but there's an awful lot for everybody else, let me tell you. And so I uh, would encourage you to see, Peter, those should be available in the bookstore uh, next week. And uh, we're going to start out with a familiar passage of Scripture because Jesus is talking about true listening here. He had just finished the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And we have it recorded here in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Uh, I would dare say that uh, if you read uh, very slowly and very carefully each verse, it probably, probably would not take you much over 20, 30 minutes to read those three chapters. And yet, we've spent our entire ministry, our entire relationship with God trying to explain and live these three chapters. In fact, on Thursday nights, uh, I think it took us almost 18 months to go through these verses, verse by verse on Thursday nights. Uh, there is so much in the Sermon on the Mount. There's no way that we can cover it 
even in a summary form this morning, but when Jesus was finishing this sermon, his last point, verse 24, Matthew chapter 7, Therefore, whosoever, what's that next word? Heareth. So if you're listening, you're hearing. Amen? Hello? Are we there? Okay. Jesus said, now, if you're, if you're listening to me, if you're hearing what I'm saying, and that's why we're looking at this passage this morning, verse 24, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Now, this is how Jesus ended the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, they've even made a, a little children's song. I've sung it all, all my life. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the foolish man built his house upon the sand and everybody, all the little ones really like it. And the house went splat and, or it was actually fell flat. But uh, uh, I'd like to get a little dramatic about that point there. But Jesus is saying, listen, if you've heard my words and do them, I'm going to make you, I'm going to liken you you are going to be an illustration, a living illustration of a wise man. The wise man, when he built his house, did not just set it upon the, the earth or the sand. He dug down, he laid a foundation, he made sure that that house was attached. How many of you wish the guys that built the Tappan Zee Bridge had done the same thing? Is anybody following that? Uh, I mean, they, they put that great big bridge and it's just sitting on the mud on the bottom of the, of the Hudson River. And in 57 years, the bridge is ready to fall apart. I think about that every time I drive across that bridge. In fact, I, I like to go around it. I don't even like to drive on it anymore. It says they're going to have to dig through 100 feet of river sediment and then through nobody knows how many feet of clay or of sand, and then there's clay under the sand, and then finally there's glacial till. Uh, that's the little pebbles from the glaciers, and then they'll get to bedrock. So if you drive across the bridge and see the barges out there, they're trying to find out how deep they're going to have to go to make sure that that bridge is built upon bedrock rather than something that is going to move. Jesus said, if you listen to my words and do them, you're like the wise man that built his house upon a rock. 
On the other hand, if you listen to my words and don't do them or doeth them not, the Bible says, you're like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. Now, this morning, I wish we had time to go through all the comparisons that are here. Both heard the word. Both had a house. Both went through the storm, but only one guy survived. And Jesus is giving us a picture here, a living illustration of what true listening is. But as we get into the, our message this morning, I've got to ask you a question. How many of you can think of specific instances in your life this past week between last Sunday and now where you knew what the Bible said and you did it not? Who's going to be honest today? Raise a hand. Okay. We do that continually, do we not? You see, the first point I want to give you is the word has gone out. We, unlike previous stories in the Bible, do you realize that Paul, though he wrote nearly half of our New Testament, never held in his hand the written word of God. In fact, Paul never held in his hand even a copy of the Old Testament. As far as we know, the, the Isaiah scrolls uh, that we have been able to discover that were just a hundred years or so older than the Apostle Paul was three scrolls, probably about four foot in height, each one 60 to 100 foot long, weighing about 80 pounds apiece. How would you like to stick that in your back pocket and get on the subway and try to read on your way to work? Uh, it wouldn't work, my friend. We can hold in our hands the complete revelation of the God to man. Now, if that doesn't Put you in all. Now, if you've been around here, I, I don't preach against words too often, but I don't like the word fair. And uh, I don't like the word awesome. There's no such thing as awesome pizza. Right. Uh, there's no such thing as an awesome football game. Even if the Giants did win, it's not awesome. The word all, if we take it historically, how it is used, is man's response to the greatness of God. Now, it shouldn't be used in any other way. But we should never lose that sense of awe when we pick up God's word and open it up. 
How many people over the years have said, Pastor, I just wish I could hear from God. Uh, Let me tell you something. All you need to do to hear from God is open this book. You say, but I get lost in there. Well, welcome to the human race. These are God's words, not yours. This is not the New York Times. Aren't you glad about that? They claim they print all the news that's fit to print. Uh, If they actually did that, it would be a blank sheet of paper. Because most of the news isn't worth printing. This is God's news. This is God's word. Now, Jesus, as he was teaching, said, you hear these words. The words have gone out. By the way, I think we need to just make a point here. The fact that others have not heard is not an excuse for you not to act upon that which you have heard. I've had many people say, but what about the aborigines in Australia? Well, let me tell you something. There are just certain questions that you and I and all of mankind together do not have enough information to answer. But are you going to allow yourself to go to hell because the aborigines might not have heard? Now, that's a pretty foolish statement now, isn't it? Even more foolish accomplishment. Yet, let me tell you, many people have managed to do that very thing. Jesus was speaking to those who had heard his words. Don't allow questions that cannot be answered deter you from acting upon God's word which you have heard. Amen? And so Jesus said, listen, you've got, you've heard these words. If you do them, you're going to be a wise man. If you don't do them, going to be a foolish man. Uh, You'll notice, and we'll get on to this in the end of the sermon, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, that Jesus doesn't give any other options. He only gives two, wise and foolish. Now let's go back to Matthew chapter 5. These are the words that Jesus is speaking about. And Jesus, as is often the case, summarizes his entire message right at the beginning And we will spend a little bit of time here today. Verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. 
Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now what Jesus is doing here in these uh, uh, items we call the Beatitudes is he is summarizing the entire rest of the Sermon on the Mount. He is going over where we are supposed to go. He is giving us a promise of blessing. Now, if I were to ask you how many people want to be blessed in their lives, I would hope every hand in here would go up that we would want God's blessing, we would want God's joy and happiness in our lives. I mean, if there, if you don't want those things, if you're one of those people, and there are people out there that, uh, I, just, I just enjoy a little bit of misery. It just makes me feel more comfortable. Please see me after church. Uh, we, we need to talk. That, that's a big problem. God doesn't want us to live that way. And yet, most of us, when we read these Beatitudes, we tend to look at them as a ladder to heaven. I want to challenge you that you can't have the blessings until after you have the Savior. You cannot be poor in spirit until after... You are saved until the issue of your eternity is secured. You cannot understand what in the world Jesus is talking about when he talks about being poor in spirit. You see, how many of you remember when you got saved? Remember that? Remember the joy? Remember the peace? How many of you have been miserable since you got saved? Hey, every one of you have been miserable at one time or another. That's what I'm just simply saying. I'm not saying it's a life of misery, no. But most of the time when we've been miserable after we got saved, it's because we did something wrong now, isn't it? And why did we do that? Well... About 90% of the time, why we sin is because we're trusting in ourselves and we're not trusting in God. You know what poor in spirit is? It's understanding that there is nothing in me that can serve God. I could not save myself. How in the world are you going to live for God? You've got to understand that you are poor. That's a word uh, I could spend the whole morning on just this one point, and I don't want to. But that's a word we don't understand in America. Because we're not poor. You say, I'm just living from paycheck to paycheck. Yes. But do you realize that the poor in this country enjoy things that the royalty in many nations do not have. I've never been to Haiti. 
Uh, my preacher was there many, many times, and he said, if you want to understand poor, he said, go to Haiti. He said, when they don't have something to wear to church, it's they don't have anything to wear. Not, I'm not sure that this is appropriate. And Now, that was last year's dress. It doesn't work this year. Somebody else might, they... Destitute of daily clothing in some instances. I don't know what the percentage is, and I'm not here to, to just make people feel bad or anything, but do you know that a great majority of this world goes to bed hungry because they have not had enough calories to maintain their body during the day? And they cannot, that's not because they weren't willing to work. That's not because they weren't willing to put forth the effort to raise that food. It's because they cannot get it. That is poor. Do you realize that you cannot get what you need to serve Christ from yourself? But if I were to ask the question, how many of us want to serve Christ? If you're here today and you're saved, every hand should go up. Well, the inability to get what I need to do what ought to be done is what the Bible talks about being poor in spirit. And until I realize the poverty of my spirit and the inability of my person... God will not open the door of his blessings to give me what I need to serve him during the day. And why we fail is because we rely upon ourselves instead of upon the supply that God can give. Probably a very poor illustration, but If I put out a plate of fresh-cut broccoli and carrots and celery sticks and on the other plate right beside it, little candy bars and some pastries from the shop over here and a couple of cannolis and and, uh, pieces of cake and all those wonderful things, which plate get emptied first? Oh, Pastor... You know that I'm just, I believe in healthy eating. I would not touch that junk on the other plate. I'm not going to call you a liar, but I am going to doubt your veracity, all right? You, you, You probably do what I do. I get a handful of broccoli first and then the candy, amen? Does that do you any good? No. But you can feel better about it, right? No. That's how we serve God. I know what's good for me and I know what I ought to do. But doesn't God want you to enjoy life? Well, let me tell you something. How many of you remember how much enjoyment you got in sin before you got saved? Didn't last very long now, did it? It always had things connected to it, didn't it? It always cost more than you thought it would. So why, after we're saved, do we still want to pick at the candy bowl of sin? It's because we're not poor in spirit. 
How about mourn? Now, that's not a popular subject to preach on. Uh, If you want to do the research, I don't think Joel Osteen's ever preached a sermon on mourning, being sad, being sorrowful. I know Norman Vincent Peale never did, unless he was preaching against it, because he preached the the positive side of things. And let me tell you, there, there's a positive side of the Scriptures and we're not trying to diminish that in any point. But until you're willing to get upset about your personal failures and your personal sins, you're never going to have the blessing that God speaks about here in the Sermon on the Mount. We use every excuse we can. And it comes naturally. You know, I've never had to teach one of my little children, Joey, now I know you're starting to learn how to speak, and so when you do something wrong, here's how to make excuses for what you've done. I don't have to teach Joey. He's three years old. Boy, he can make a list of excuses as long as your arm. I'm not quite sure, but I think he was just born to be a lawyer. I'm not sure, but uh, I mean, he can get the job done. And how many of us make our excuses to God why it's okay that we did what we did? That was Esau's problem. That's why he couldn't find repentance, though he sought it very carefully with tears. Because no matter how many times he went over the circumstance of his life, but God, don't you understand, if I didn't sell my birthright and buy that bowl of beans, I would have died. Now, that wasn't true. But you see, if he had just been able to mourn a little bit, it would have put him on the right track. You see, godly sorrow worketh salvation to repentance. But I want to warn you, the sorrow of this world worketh death, and that's not the kind of sorrow or mourning Jesus is talking about here in the Sermon on the Mount. You know what the sorrow of this world is? I could never forgive myself. I did this and it was just terrible and I hurt somebody and I can't change it. And I, and you just go on and on and on. That'll put you in one of those special hospitals if you're not careful. And I don't mean to demean that. There are many people held captive by their sorrow. Because it's not godly. Since when does your being upset that you did something change anything? You know, I I get it all the time from my kids. But dad, it was an accident. I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm glad it was an accident. If you had been trying to do that on purpose, we'd have a whole other set of problems we have to deal with here. But just being sorry doesn't change 
the sore foot that you dropped the book on. It doesn't heal the hurt of words that were said. Now I know, mommy taught me, sticks and stones may hurt my bo- break my bones, but names will never hurt me. That is one of the great lies of our society, is it not? We, we never forget what people say and call us, and yet we get down here to the end, it says that we're to rejoice when people revile us and persecute us for the cause of Jesus Christ, for righteousness' sake. You say, how do you get there? Well, you have to go through the list. Poor in spirit, mourn, meek. Meek is walking in the authority of another. That is what the word meekness means. When a police officer goes out there, and even a big police officer, let's say that police officer is six foot two and 250 pounds and all bulging muscle, do you think that police officer, by holding up his hand, can stop that 80,000 pound truck moving in his direction? Doesn't have a chance, except for one thing that uh, blue uniform. And that badge and that shoulder patch tell anyone who's paying any attention, you had better listen to this person. I don't care if the police officer is five foot two and weighs 110 pounds soaking wet. If I'm driving that big 80,000 pound truck, I'm stopping. Why? Because they have authority. Why can't we live our lives under the authority of Jesus Christ, the Creator, instead of being controlled and manipulated by all the things that are around us? This is what meekness is. You see, until you realize that you are destitute in spirit, that you can't get what you need, until you're willing to mourn over your sin till you're willing to trust God's word more than you are your own or your own experience, you are never going to hunger and thirst after righteousness because God will not change your desires until you surrender them to Him. You wonder why you don't like the Bible and the things of God. It's because you've never let Him mold your hunger And your thirst. This is the Sermon on the Mount. These are the words that Jesus is talking about. You've heard my words. If you do them, you're going to be like a wise man. If you don't do them, you're going to be like a foolish man. When's the last time you truly desired God's word and obedience to God's word. Most of the time, we truly desire God to enhance our life. That's not hungering and thirsting after righteousness. The next one is merciful. 
Blessed are the merciful. Let, let me tell you, most Christians never get here, but this is where most Christians want to start the Beatitudes. How did you obtain mercy and salvation? You came before the victor, Jesus Christ, who has the victory over life and death. And your sins, he paid for them on the cross. And you admitted your defeat. And you surrendered your will to the victor. And you received mercy and salvation. Now let me ask you, how does that play out in the life of a Christian? Well, what it means is, you have to be in control of the situation enough that you can give mercy to those who oppose themselves and fight themselves. Most of us never get there because we're too busy being frustrated and irritated by that kind of person. We can't deal with our family because we're too busy dealing with ourselves. You cannot be merciful until you have enough mercy to exceed the situation. Does that make sense? We're just not getting there. But isn't it interesting that he moves from merciful to the pure in heart, and yet that's where everybody... Oh, I just, I just always have loved God. I've always had these spiritual desires. I mean, when I really get right down to it, I just love the Lord Jesus. Well, when was the last time you were in church? Oh, it's been years, but, you know, I read my Bible and I turn it on the TV or the radio. Hey, let me tell you, pure in heart means that you want what Jesus wants. When's the last time you could look at a situation and say, hey, you know what? I really believe that I was in tune enough with the Lord to want what He actually wanted. That's tough. But that's what pure in heart is. It is desires that have been shaped and molded by Jesus Christ to the point to where they are no longer yours, they are all His. Then we have the peacemakers. Now, we don't have time to build this all up this morning, but let me tell you that the peacemakers are those who bring peace to a situation. Amen? That's a very simple definition. How in the world can you have peace with God? you got to get saved. Peacemakers are soul winners. And let me tell you something. There's an awful lot going on in the name of soul winning that isn't soul winning. It's not just praying a prayer, my friend. It's leading someone to an understanding of who God is. And that person accepts who God is and who they are. And they get saved. There's people that talk about a salvation that nothing ever changes. 
The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creature. Does that mean he's going to be perfect? No, that's why 1 John 1, 9 is there. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But if Jesus just moved in your apartment, would things change? If Jesus said, hey, I'm just going to sit in your living room for a week. I'm going to sleep on the couch right here in front of the TV. How many of you would even turn that thing on with Jesus in the room? Because you're afraid of what might flash on the screen. It would be offensive to the Lord. Well, I mean, that's what pure in heart is all about. If it's offensive to God, it ought to be offensive to you. To be a peacemaker. To lead someone to Jesus Christ. And you know what's going to happen if you ever get to peacemaker? That's when the persecution will come. Because people are finally going to realize that you have answers they don't. And that's when you'll be persecuted for righteousness sake. One of the reasons why we don't experience much persecution in the United States is because we never get that far. We're not into all of these things. This is the summary of the Sermon on the Mount. These are the things that Jesus is speaking that we need to be obedient, that we need to hear, not only hear these things, we need to do them. I I want you to know as we go back to Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Therefore, whosoever heareth these words of mine and doeth them... The word has gone out. This is God's word. And if you match your life up to God's word, what's going to happen? You're going to come short every time. Well, where do I go with that? How, How in the world can I live feeling so bad about myself all the time? Well, I go back to porn spirit. Because if I don't have it, then I know enough to go to where I can get it. Amen? If I'm willing to mourn over my sin and my wrong after a godly manner, where is that going to take me? It's going to take me right back to the foot of the cross. I love that song, Beyond the Cross, There's a Tomb That is Empty. You see, that's where I get the comfort because it was paid by Jesus Christ. It wasn't swept under the carpet. It wasn't just uh, erased. God didn't just forget about it. No, he justified us. Amen. But if we go back to Matthew chapter 7, the word has gone out. The storm is coming. Both houses. Jesus uses the words, and the rain descended... And the flood came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you have been through a storm of life? Would you just lift your hand and give testimony to that fact? And if you haven't been, I've got good news. 
God's weatherman's always right. One's coming. Although on a very serious note, uh, I'm going to remi- hopefully I'll remember to remind you at the end of the service, but I want you to pray for the Clayton family. Um, Brother Clayton's great-granddaughter was killed in a car wreck, three years old, on Monday, down in North Carolina. Uh, his granddaughter was uh, broken, broken leg, broken ribs, internal injuries, had one surgery already. Um, their hope is that she'll be able to attend the funeral tomorrow. Let me tell you something. The Clayton family's in a storm. But you know what Brother Clayton said in his emails? He said, I don't need to talk to Dr. Phil. He said, I don't need somebody's book. He said, we got God's book. And it's going to bring us through. Now let me tell you something. The storm's coming. The storm is beating upon the house of those lives. Is your house going to stand? Or is it going to fall? Those are the only two alternatives. You know what we like to do? We like to get out our slide rules and we like to develop a half-standing house. Now, how many of you would like to live in a half-standing house? Uh, Let me tell you something. There's no such thing. Either the house is destroyed or it survives. Those were the only two alternatives the Savior gave to us. By the way, that's why in the rest of the sermon he goes on and he explains to us, you need to know how to pray. He explains to us that if you lay up your treasure here on earth... Moth and rust are going to corrupt it. Thieves are going to break through and steal. But if you lay up your treasure in heaven, no one can steal that treasure. Which master are you serving? You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and the world system. You cannot serve God and have a desire to get ahead. You've got to either serve God or serve the world. You have to choose. You say, but I got to pay my bills. Uh, Let me explain something to you. There is no Christian exempt from full-time Christianity. Often at preacher's meetings, we talk about full-time servants. Uh, Will you please stand? And that's just an abbreviation. If you're a pastor, a missionary, an assistant pastor, a music director, youth director, and the list goes on of all different places you can serve in the church. Your income is derived from church work. Uh, A lot of times they'll want those men to stand up and identify themselves so that other preachers can meet other preachers and know who they are. I never have quite liked that full-time Christian service idea because... Every Christian is to be a full-time Christian. When I was a Bible college student, I worked in a nursing home. I changed diapers for a living. It was not pleasant work. 
But number one, somebody needed to take care of those people. Amen. And, and number two, if I didn't work, I didn't pay my school bill, then I'd never become a preacher. God expects you to work. But if you work your job to serve Christ, it's a whole lot different than it is working to get by and giving Christ what's left over. By the way, it'll be a whole lot easier to put up with that really horrible boss if you understand that working is a privilege God gives me so I can serve him better. You got that, Peter? You got to put up with me as his boss. So That takes some putting up. But let me tell you, if we would look at it differently, that's what Jesus is talking about, laying up our treasures in heaven. I work my job so I can serve Christ. The more efficiently I work, the more dollars per hour I make, the easier it ought to be to serve Christ. Amen? But if you have to sell your soul to make those dollars, then you don't have anything left over for Christ. Which master are you serving? That's why Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Would you trust God to add those things instead of trusting yourself to provide those things? You see, the storm is coming. And one of the greatest problems that will happen to you in the storm. Jesus spends most of chapter 7 talking about judgment. If you got into the storm because of your disobedience, how much comfort are you going to get from God's word to get out of the storm? I need to think about that one. But that's what Jesus is talking about in the sermon. You see, when the storm comes and I'm serving Christ, I can know that he's going to take me through. If the storm comes because I was being disobedient to Christ... What is there left to hold on to, my friend? That's why the fall of that house was great. Because there was nothing left to hold on to. So, number one, the word has gone out. Number two, the storm is coming. And we've already pretty much covered most of our conclusion already. Where are you going to be? I don't remember, I'm not sure I remember which one of the silly Hollywood people it was, but they had their quote-unquote mansion burned down 
and they were standing outside and a newspaper reported, oh, we lost everything, but we're so happy to be standing here looking at it. And I understand what they mean. But wait a minute. I don't want to be standing there looking at the embers of my life. I got into heaven by the skin of my teeth. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Read the book of Jude. It says there are going to be some there having even the garments spotted by the flesh. I don't want to get to heaven by the skin of my teeth. I want to take as many people with me as I can. I'd like to enjoy the journey between now and heaven. We have no idea when it's coming. But God said he wanted us to have life and that life more abundantly. You don't build your foundation upon a rock by accident. You've got to hear. And you've got to do. You may be thinking, but pastor, I can't do everything. No, none of us can. I mean, the ultimate place where we need to start is back with porn spirit. Amen. But. Don't let the multitude of things that have to change in your life stop you from changing the things that you could work on today. You know what? You don't have to repeat that bit of gossip you heard. You don't have to go digging in somebody else's life to find out something about them. Amen? You, you don't have to watch the Oscars. Is that on tonight? Don't admit it if you know, all right? I, I'm not sure. I, I, think, I think I heard something about it being on, or maybe it was last week. I, I really don't care, honestly and truly, and neither should you. What is there to watch that is going to bring you closer to Christ? Somebody said, well, I can learn a lot of things that I shouldn't do. Well, wait a minute. If you're that destitute of knowledge, which no one here is, just read your Bible. It'll tell you all you need to know about sin. Amen. You see, Jesus made a simple statement. He drew a simple word picture. He said, therefore, because of everything that I've covered so far in this sermon, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not. For it was founded upon a rock. I tell you, it's a fearful thing to watch your children grow up. 
You know what happens? They start wanting to make their own decisions. You know what a parent's job is? Is to teach that child how to make their own decisions. If my children only serve God because daddy was a preacher, do you think that house is going to stand when the winds blow? Mm-mm. No, they've, they've got to learn to serve God because he is their God. They've got to learn to do right because God said so. You know, the best time to teach children the beginning basic lessons of those things? Before they're old enough to talk. You start their whole life. Teenage years do not need to be this horrible time of rebellion. You've got to tie the ropes tight while they're little. Then they don't fight so hard when they get big. And doesn't mean there's not going to be problems and arguments and things. Storms will come. But if you're founded upon the rock, the authority is God's, not yours. By the way, that's what meekness is. The ability is God's, not yours. That's what poor in spirit is. You can be merciful because there's enough of God in you to see through the storm. You're not going to escape the outcome. There are only two. You've got to get saved first. If you're here today and you're saved, you know what the next step is? Getting baptized. You know what the next step is? Serving God in His church. Discipleship. Learning what the Bible teaches. It's living for God a day at a time. Sometimes just a moment at a time. It's realizing that I am not within me lies nothing to serve God. I've got to go to God daily. That's why he said, pick up your cross daily. I die daily. Uh, these things remind us that we're poor in spirit. Mourn. But let your mourning take you to the cross and then to the empty tomb. Not to re-crucifying Jesus as many religions do. Read Hebrews chapter 6. Jesus died once. That's good enough forever. Amen. Oftentimes we try to protect ourselves from things that we know are coming. You cannot protect yourself from the storm. Your only hope is having a house built on the rock. So you get building the house today. Dig down. Find the rock. Obey Jesus' words. 
start with getting saved. If you're saved, start with getting baptized. If you're saved and baptized, start with serving God in His church. Amen. Read your daily Bible reading schedule. If you get behind, catch up, or at least start the next day and keep going. How many of you would like to lead somebody to the Lord this year, for real? That's way down the list, my friend. That's the last one on the list before persecution. So let's start with poor in spirit. Let's move to mourning and meekness. Let's ask God to allow us to truly hunger and thirst for those things that He would give us. Let's ask God that there be enough of us to get through the trial so that we can be the ones offering mercy, not the ones begging for it. Does that make sense? You have to get mercy from God. But you have to let that mercy take you through the struggle. Then you can give mercy to someone else. Do you know somebody, people hate you. If you will let God do his work, there will be a time when they wear out. It's hard to hate. That's what being merciful is. That's how you overcome evil with good. Then you're pure in heart. And somebody can look at you and say, you really care about me, not just what you can get out of the situation. How many of you have ever had somebody help you that their only interest in helping you was helping themselves? That's what the world offers. Love is helping someone when it doesn't benefit you at all. That's the love that God wants. How many of you have ever received love like that? If you're saved, you have. It's a wonderful thing to know that another human being is not trying to profit on you. They just care about you. As your preacher, I I don't get my self-worth out of how many people show up on Sunday morning. It does encourage me when there's more people here, yes. But that's not why I do what I do. I want to give God's word. But I can't make you do it. Only you can. He that heareth these words of mine and doeth them, Jesus said, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to walk up and down these aisles right now as people are contemplating what they're going to do, how they're going to process the information, the preaching of this morning. Lord, my prayer is that we would grab hold of God's word and just do it. We would just obey. Lord, 
that we may be that wise man when the storm hits. Lord, work in our lives. Help us. Let us ever be reminded of our poverty. Let us mourn for our failures. But Lord, let it drive us to walk in your word and to hunger and thirst for your truth that we may take your words to the world in which we live, regardless of the consequences. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.